So thanks for having me. Um, obviously, I'm not your normal pastor preacher, <laughs> you know, so uh, Pastor Anthony uh, would normally be here taking you guys through this text, and, um, but uh, as some of you may have heard, some of you may not have heard, his wife uh, got COVID, uh, and so he put a message out this week to all of Redemption, like, hey, can anybody come up and uh, help out uh, this week uh, because I'm not going to be able to go over and preach, and so um, you got stuck with me, so <laughs> you know, like, I volunteered and uh, happy to help. Thanks. And uh, yeah, drove up last night. And so I got, did get an update uh, from the Gee family this morning um, that as far as they know, all of their symptoms are gone. The tests that they've been taking have all come back negative, And so they are on the road to recovery. So praise God for that, that they're, uh, they're still doing great. Okay. All right. Uh, so as our scripture reader read, we're going to be in John 17. We're going to continue in the gospel of John today. We're going to be in John 17 verses 6 through 19. So as you're turning there in your Bible or pulling it up on your phone, uh, I have something that I want you to, to think about with me, okay? I want you to think about with me a very significant, very important relationship to you right now, okay? This could be a, a family member. It could be a spouse. It could be a cousin, it could be a best friend, it could be a sibling, it could be a parent, um, it could you know, be any ho- an aunt, an uncle, just somebody who's really significant for you that is almost kind of like this anchoring relationship, okay? That, you know, a relationship that just grounds you, right? A relationship that just kind of keeps you, uh, in the words of like family system therapists, a, 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 a relationship that helps you to be seen and known, someone who just really knows you well, that soothes you when things get hard, that can be this discomfort and peace and calmness to your life. Someone that makes you feel safe and secure, that as you go out into this risky world, that they're an anchor for you. And as you think about that person, that's the context of where we're at today with Jesus and his disciples, okay? What he's just told them, as you think about that person, imagine if that person said, I'm going to depart. And that departure could be, I'm going to die. And so I want for you to know that, and I want to, like, I'm not going to be here for you anymore. Or it could be, I'm moving across the country. It could be, I'm moving across to a different state, a different city. And so you know that that person's about to go. What would you want to hear from them? Like, what was that word, that phrase, that truth that you would want to hold on to knowing that they're going to be gone? That's the state that the disciples are in right now. That's the context. And if I had to summarize what Jesus is saying to his disciples here in verses 6 through 19, here's what he's saying. So look at me here, because I want you to, to... to hear Jesus saying this to you today. You are very dear to me. And so no matter what happens to you, you're gonna flourish. You are very dear to me. So no matter what, you're gonna flourish. That's what Jesus wants for us today. That's the big idea. 
So let me set the context a little bit more. I don't know if this helps you, but it helps me to, to kind of like when I'm watching 24 or watching The Mandalorian to kind of get like a recap of what happened in the last few episodes. So I'm back caught up like, oh yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> so let me catch us up. The book of Gospel of John, okay, is broken up into four parts. And we're in part three, which is called the Book of Glory, all right? Uh, it has other names, like it's called the Passion Narrative or the Final Discourse, the Farewell Discourse, uh, the Book of the Cross. There's a lot of different names for it. But we're in this kind of final week of Jesus's life, right? And from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 20 is one week of Jesus's life. All right, uh, And so it's just this really intense week where he's spending all this significant, intimate time with his disciples, getting them ready for like what's about to come. And he's just had a really, the most significant, important meal that he's ever shared with them. He's had the Passover meal. And in Jewish custom, this was the most important meal of the year, right? This celebrated and remembered the rescuing that God did of Israel from Egypt, right? And so Jesus is taking this meal and he's kind of redefining it. He's reshaping it. And he's saying, hey, guess what, guys? That meal that you guys have been celebrating for centuries um, has been about me. Uh, it's been about a foretaste of my redemption that's coming, that my rescuing power that's going to come and to save not only Israel, but to, to save the world, okay? And so he's redefined that meal, that meal that, that we now call the Lord's Supper or communion. Uh, that's what Jesus has just done. And you know, unlike us, in Jewish custom, it was very common that you didn't pray before a meal, you prayed after a meal. And so Jesus is praying after that meal, okay? And last week, uh, you know, Pastor Anthony took you guys through uh, that Jesus is praying for his own glory. And what he's doing today is he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for the church. Uh, he's praying for the seed that will plant the church uh, throughout uh, church history, Okay, and so what I want to do is kind of move into, there's three specific things that Jesus prays for, all right? He prays for their purity, the disciples' purity. He prays for their protection, and he prays for their purpose. I'm half black, and so I'm going to bring some, you know, African-American, like, church vibe in here to you today, so I hope you're okay with that. Uh, so I want you to say these three things with me, purity, protection, and purpose, purity, protection and purpose. These are the three things that Jesus has specifically prayed for us uh, as he's getting ready to go toward the end of his life. These are his departing words to us. He's praying for our purity, our protection, and our purpose. Okay? So I want to go backwards in our text today because I think it really helps us get it the best. Okay? Um, and so let's start in verses 17 through 19. And here's what Jesus has to say to his disciples in verses 17 through 19. Sanctify them. He's praying this to the Father. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You sent them into the world, and so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so they also may be sanctified in, in truth. So we've heard this word several times, the word sanctification, right? So he's saying sanctify. That's where I'm getting the, the purity from. And it's very common in our modern context that when we think about the word purity, when we think about holiness, when we think about sanctification, we think about morality, 
right? You think about like sexual purity or you think about like uh, to keep yourself away from substances or to keep your, well, you know, to make sure you're going over to Whole Foods and get some organic food, you know, like I don't want the like impurities on my food, right? Like that's the stuff that we think about. But when the Bible a lot of times talks about sanctification, talks about holiness, talks about purity, it's talking about not merely morality. Uh, it's talking about that there's not something less, but something much more. And it's really talking about when it talks about God being holy, God being sanctified, God being consecrated. It means that God is set apart. It means God is distinct. It means God is unique. God is something special. There's nothing else like God in the universe. And so think about this for a moment. God is praying, Jesus in flesh, the God-man, is praying that you be distinct that you'll be special, that you'll be unique in this world. That's what Jesus is praying for. So when he's praying for our purity, that's what he's praying for, that we'll be distinct, that we'll be unique, that we're the called out ones, right? That we look different than the rest of the world, that our lives are meant to be compelling. Is Jesus sanctified? Yes. Is Jesus holy? Is he distinct? Is he unique? Yes, I mean, that's why we're all here, right? There's something very compelling about the person of Jesus. You can ask a secular person and a sacred person, right? You can ask a believer and an unbeliever, and everybody knows who Jesus is. They know Jesus of Nazareth. They may not have the same belief about him as we do. They may not share that same thing, but they know he's a unique individual in human history. His impact, his legacy is there. It's not going anywhere right? Jesus is something unique. And because we're associated with him as his disciples, as the disciples are associated with him, he's saying, you're my representatives. People know you're associated with me. And so I'm praying that your life will be marked as my life is marked. People will know, yeah, those people have been with Jesus. There's something different about them. There's something unique that when I thought about this reality um, that Jesus is, is speaking over his disciples, I couldn't help but think of expensive jewelry. If anybody have ever bought expensive jewelry, whether it was for an engagement or for a loved one or, or whatever, uh, this thing about purity will come up, right? And that when you get metal or when you get like a, a special jewel, there's gonna be stuff on it, right? Like it's got all this earthy, things on it, right? Uh, and so what they do is when they get the metal, when they get the jewelry, you know, the jewel, they have to kind of clean it up and they have to, because it's all kind of tarnished by the world and they clean it up and then when they'll say, this is 99% pure metal, this is 99% pure, da, 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 da. And what it's saying is the purer that metal gets, the purer that jewel gets, it becomes more unique. It becomes something special that each metal and each jewel has the, you know, when I'm shopping for my wife's engagement ring, you know, it was like, what, it's got these special little, like, you know, you, if you look through it, you're gonna, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't, so just, I just want the cheapest one that you can get me because I'm poor college student, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? But, but he's trying to describe to me this beauty and this goodness and this uniqueness, the distinctness of this jewel, right? 
And that's what Jesus is trying to do, that we're meant to be a treasure. We're meant to be a jewel, not only to ourselves and to the kingdom, but to the world around us. There's something distinct and beautiful and unique about each and every one of us as we've been called into this kingdom. That the metal is pure, that we're supposed to be pure. We're supposed to be something unique, something compelling that sparks an interest when people get to know us. They're saying, there's something that marks you. There's something that defines you that I want to get to know more about that. What is that? So as the world engages us and as we engage the world, we're meant to be pure. We're meant to be sanctified, distinct, unique. And Jesus says there that I'm sending them into the world just as I was sent, right? Have you ever thought about that for a moment? That like when you got saved, you were like, okay, Jesus, like this salvation thing, it's awesome, it's cool, this relationship with you is great. I just want to be with you. And But no, we have to stay in this broken, sinful, painful world. He leaves us here, so you have to start asking yourself, why? (laughs) Why did he leave us here? And he left us here to be sanctified, to be something unique and compelling, to draw more people into the kingdom. We were left here for that reason. That's why we have to still continue to go, all this pain and suffering and and different things like that, because we're called to be unique and distinct, that our lives are called to be um, compelling, right? And so it's hard for me to remember this as someone who's very passionate about mission and evangelism. You know, I love to go share with other people the treasure of my life about Jesus, that I have to remember purity precedes mission. Purity precedes mission. That if you're going to be a credible witness, you have to be distinct. It has to be something unique about you. So we've looked at purity. Now let's look at protection. See, what Jesus realizes is that as we, if we really do this thing, if we really go out and pursue this sanctified, pure, holy, set-apart, distinct life, it will come at a cost. That anyone who's distinct, you see this in the life of Jesus, a distinct person disrupts the status quo. Right? That if you're really living different, there are going to be people who are compelled by it, who are interested and say, man, I'm really interested in that, I want to learn more. And there are going to be people who hate it. That is a reality that we have to face as the kingdom. And so Jesus prays as we're living this pure life that we'll be protected. Okay, look with me in verse 11, in the first part of verse 11. Here's what Jesus says. I am no longer in the world. They are in the world. I'm coming to you. So there's our problem. Like Jesus is not in the world. He's left us, right? And then you go to verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I guarded them that none of them had been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Go down to verse 15. I did not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So we see this language in here of protection. I'm keeping them, I'm guarding them, I'm protecting them, and that there is an evil one. There are evil ones who will seek to harm them. 
Jesus recognizes that there are threats we will face as we live this pure, sanctified, distinct, holy life before the world. It will not be easy, and Jesus recognizes this reality. And what really blows my mind, I don't know if you've ever caught this before, but I've read this passage a bunch of different times, Jesus' high priestly prayer, and I've never noticed this before. He says in verse 12, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them has been lost. What Jesus just said there was for the disciples. He was protecting them the whole time. That blew my mind this week. I never thought that the disciples were under threat the whole time. (laughs) I thought about Jesus being under threat, right? There's all these people conspiring and there are people trying to discredit him. The Pharisees, the religious people, they're kind of coming and they're like, guys, Jesus, hang out with sinners, you know? And then they start plotting, you know, all this stuff. We've read that throughout the Gospel of John that they start plotting. There's like a specific phrase in John says, and they decided to like get him after this point. Like we're gonna take this dude out because he's such a threat to us. But that was also a threat to the disciples. And Jesus says, I've been guarding them. I've been protecting them this whole time, but I'm about to depart. I'm not going to be in the world anymore. And so he's praying to God, his father said, God, protect them. Protect these dear ones to me. I've been guarding them, but I'm going to be gone. My presence is going to be gone. So keep them. Continue to guard them from the stains of this world. And obviously, it's not just external threats that the disciples were facing, but there was internal threats. That there were times, if you remember, there, there's a phrase in the Gospel of John where it says, people, like, it's literally when Jesus, <laughs> this blows my mind, he's talking about communion, like you have to eat my bread, like, which is my flesh, and drink my blood, which is some of the reason why early Christians were labeled as cannibals. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if you know that, but they were labeled as cannibalistic. You know, because we were like eating someone's flesh and drinking their blood, right? And... As that happens, there's a group of people who say, ah, the stuff Jesus teaches is just too hard. I'm out. Right? So that's not necessarily an external threat. That's an internal threat, right? And so we face these external, internal threats all the time, that there's internal threats can be, you know, fear, anxiety, doubt, depression, right? External threats can be job loss, financial struggles, that, that, that test at school that's about to come, right? And... Uh, Natural disasters, disease, I don't know, there's this thing called a pandemic that's happening right now, right? Like, that's an external threat, right? And then these could be related. You go through the pandemic and you're, like, depressed and, you know, so it's just, like, internal, external threats are almost kind of, like, related to one another. And Jesus says, "Ah, protect them, protect them, guard them, because they're going to face these real threats. And how does Jesus pray for their protection? Like, what does he want for them more than anything This blew my mind here. I can find it. Uh, Lost my place. Oh, there it is. Okay, verse um, 13. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that you, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I don't think about joy as the thing that protects me. (laughs) But Jesus says that they're under this threat. I've been protecting them, right? Because he said that verse 12, like I've been guarding them, I've been keeping them, and now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak to the world, that they have my joy in themselves. Jesus 
praise and is fighting for your joy. And that's how he protects you. He fights that you will keep this desire and passion and intimacy, this grounding relationship where you find fulfillment in him. In the words of uh, John Mark Comer, I am a lover of Jesus and Star Wars in that order, okay? And so there's a moment in one of the most recent Star Wars movies that's probably the best of the recent ones, so I know that could be a bit of a debate, right? Um, But Rogue One is by far the best of the most recent Star Wars, okay? The rest of them I'm not too happy with. Okay, they've really pretty much ruined Star Wars at this point. So, um, so Rogue One, all right? There's this moment toward the end of the movie. If you haven't watched it up to this point, I'm not going to do the spoiler alert. Like, guys, grow up. Like, go watch Rogue One, okay? Like, you repent, okay? If you haven't watched Rogue One, that's, that's kind of on you. It's not on me anymore at this point, all right? So, there's this moment toward the end of Rogue One when Jen Erso and the rebel soldiers are getting ready to fly into the evil empire's base where they keep these plans for the Death Star. This Death Star is like this world-killing weapon that is just going to help them rule the galaxy under fear, the threat of fear, right, all the time. And so they're going, they're trying to steal these plans, and they're flying in, they're descending down to the, like, the landing pad, and Jen's like holding on to this, uh, you know, like letter, ladder where, you know, can kind of walk up and down the ship, and she's, you could tell she's just really experiencing fear and doubt and anxiety and all these different kind of internal threat emotions. And then she looks over and she sees the rebel soldiers that she's called to go do this mission. And she sees the same thing in them. And a lot of these people have been in battles. Like they know the cost here. And I love it. It's just such a powerful moment. She let go. She lets go of the ladder. She pulls her shoulders back and she just starts talking to them, right? She recognizes the threat that they're about to face, the internal threats, the external threats, And she restores their joy. She restores their passion. She takes the the phrases she learned from her mentor who taught her how to be such an excellent fighter and to face these kinds of realities and to go with them with courage. And she speaks that to them and says, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to get, like, we we can do this. Like, we're just going to take it one step at a time. We're going to get off the ship. We're going to take the ground. And we're going to get these plants. Right? And, 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 you know, the spoiler alert for the moon, they, they all die, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> that's what happens, right? <sighs> and she wants them to go out with purpose and fulfillment and meaning. She restores their joy. She restores it why they're setting out to do what they do. That there is an evil empire that wants to seek to destroy and kill and ruin everything that is beautiful and good in our galaxy. And we've got a moment where we can put an end to this, where we can fight back. That's just such a powerful, beautiful moment. I get like chills every time like I watch it. I'm just like, man, it's just like awesome, feministic kind of gal. It's just like, yeah, you know. So she's got joy and fulfillment that she restores to them. And joy and fulfillment for Jesus, the reason he praises for it is this is the foundation for protecting our purpose. 
We're protecting our meaning. That when we have joy, we have passion, we remember why we're called to do what we do, it protects our purpose. And so that brings us to point three. We've talked about our purity, we've talked about our protection, and now let's talk about our purpose. Look with me in verse nine. This is where we're going to be now in kind of six through 11 here. He says in verse nine, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus just said, I'm not praying for everybody right now. I'm praying for the disciples, the people who are here in front of him, right, that are sharing this meal with him. He's not praying for everybody. He's praying specifically for his disciples. And I don't know if this happens to you. Even as a pastor, this happens to me regularly. I read something like that and I ask myself, am I one of those? Because I, I understand this calling, I'm, I'm, I'm meant to be pure, I'm meant to be holy, distinct, set, sanctified, set apart. I don't always feel like that. I don't always feel like my life is the most compelling. It's not like when I walk into a coffee shop, like I went over to Lund Canyon this morning and got some coffee and I walked in there. It's not like people were like, hey, like, there's something different about you. Like, what is it? Right? <laughs> it's not everywhere I walk into, I've just got this aura or presence about me that you know, people are like, oh, wow, look at this guy, you know. I don't always feel like that. I don't always feel protected, right? I don't always feel like my joy, that the rock that Jesus is, is I don't always feel that, that strong anchor that he is in my life. And so I ask myself, okay, Jesus, am I, am I one of those? Am I a disciple? Am I one of these people that you prayed for that God would keep and protect? And so we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a disciple? Skip with me back up to verses 6 through 8. He says, I've manifested your name, which is a way of saying, like, I've revealed your character. That the name in the Bible is like your character. You know, like, you go read the Old Testament, and they'll, they'll say, like, and this person's name was Isaac, which means laughter, right? <laughs> like, which means, like, he's supposed to be this joy to his parents because Isaac was, like, born to a 100-year-old uh, you know, parents, right? So, so they have this joy, right? So in a name, so I've manifested your name, I've manifested your attributes, your character to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they, they have kept your word. There it is. They've kept your word and now they know everything that you have given me is from you for I have given them the words that you gave and they have received them and they have come to know the truth that I have come from you and they have believed that you sent me. And so all this have language there, I have manifested, right? Um, I, they have kept, um, I have given them the words, they have received them, they have come to know, they have believed, right? All of that is a present perfect or past perfect tense, okay, in the original Greek. And what a perfect tense means is that it's fulfilled, it's completed, it's done. It's accomplished. Okay? And so what Jesus is saying is, I have completed manifesting my name to them. They know God now intimately because they know me. Right? And let's not forget how John starts off the gospel. How does he start off the gospel of John? He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen this glory. John 1.14. Right? When we see Jesus, we see God. Want to know God clearly? Know Jesus. 
And so he says, I've manifested, I've made your name, I've made your attributes, your character known to the world perfectly, right? That's that I have manifested, I have made known your word. And then it says, and they have received it. They have believed it. They have kept the word. And that kept the word does not mean that they're obeying all the commands of Jesus. Because we'll see very quickly here in the Gospel of John, they skirt out when things get tough. And if you know your life, right, like we don't live out perfectly the commands of Christ all the time. So what is this they have kept the word mean? It means they believe Jesus is who he says he is. That's the completion. If you want to know you're a disciple, it simply starts with that, friends. Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Have you seen the glory of God, the beauty of God, the magnificence of God in the face of Jesus Christ? That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to have perfect belief. I believe the word Jesus has manifested to us, that he's made known to us. I believe him. That's where it starts. And this is the beginning of our purpose. You see, when we believe that, that Jesus is this distinct, unique human being, and if we believe that, then now we're called into this intimate, special relationship with him. We're now his disciples, just as those people were his disciples. They believed, and now he's praying for their purity and for protection. If we believe, he's praying for our purity and protection. There's a a holiday coming up tomorrow, right, where we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who is somebody I, I absolutely love and adore. I think he was an amazing human being, one of the greatest Americans in American history right? And so if you're an American, just like as much as you like maybe Lincoln or George Washington, I think you should like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He's an amazing human being. And there's a sense where, you know, on, on his birthday, I always go on YouTube and watch his I Have a Dream speech, which is just, as someone who's a communication major, it's just one of the best speeches, like, of all time. Like, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. And there's a sense where if I believe what Dr. Martin Luther King preached in the I Have a Dream speech or what he wrote in his letter from a Birmingham jail, I'm now his legacy. I'm his disciple, right? It's now my calling to go out and do what he was calling us all to. It's the same true for Jesus. If I believe what Jesus says about himself and what is best for human flourishing, I'm now his disciple. I'm his legacy. I'm called. That's my purpose. Right? This is our purpose, is if we believe, we go out and live a life that says, yes, I believe. (laughs) It gives us purpose. It gives us meaning. That Listen to what Jesus uh, says here. In verse 10, he says, all mine are yours, and yours are mine. He's talking about this unique relationship he has with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And here's, this part blows my mind. It's amazing, guys. Think about this. Okay, slow down. And I am glorified in them. 
Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is compelling. We all know that. His glory, his beauty, his compellingness, what makes him amazing is going to come through you. Amazing. (laughs) You want to talk about purpose. Wow, what greater gift of purpose could I have in my life to know that Jesus, if I believe that he is the son of God, that he is what is best for human flourishing, he's best for my life, and he's best for life of everyone around me, he will work through that simple truth. That blows my mind. I am glorified in them. Jesus is glorified in you, friends. Each and every one of you, even with your little mask on, are distinct and unique. Because you even got little different masks, right? You are amazing. You are beautiful. You are dear to Jesus. I mean, I don't know if you ever sat down with just different human beings. They're fascinating. <laughs> I sit down with other people and I'm just like, tell me about you. (laughs) People are interesting. They're weird, but they're interesting. I'm weird, you know, but there's something interesting, you know, that God has made me unique and distinct. And he works, he glorifies himself through that distinction. Have you thought about that? That all that unique distinctness that we have God works through that. He shows more of his glory through our uniqueness. It's beautiful. And so Jesus continues this work of bringing truth, beauty, and goodness into the world through us. That his, he began this truth, beauty, goodness project 2,000 years ago. He's continuing it through us still to this day. So let's, re- let's review here, okay? This section of the Gospel of John, verses 6 through 19, these 13 verses, was Jesus praying for the church, praying for his original disciples. And what essentially he's saying to them is, as he's looking out at that table of those 12 people, He's saying, you're unique. You're very dear to me. So no matter what, remember, no matter what happens, you're going to flourish. Because Jesus is working toward that end and he is relentless. And so as we hear that to the original disciples, I want you to hear today, friend, look at me. Okay. You are unique. Jesus cares very dearly for each and every one in this room. And so no matter what, remember, Jesus is relentlessly fighting for your flourishing. And he will use you to help others to flourish. What greater reality could we have, friends, right? (laughs) Jesus is praying for our purity. He's praying for our protection. And he's praying for our purpose. No matter what. He's going to take care of us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you 
for these wonderful saints here at Redemption Flagstaff. As I look out into the room, I just see so much beauty and goodness even right here. It amazes me that you pulled this band of people together for your glory and that you will be glorified in them. So Father, work through them. May they all remember that they have been called by you and you gave them to one another, you gave them to yourself, and that you will keep them, you will guard them, you will protect them, and that you will use them in a unique, distinct way to glorify yourself here on earth. I pray this in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.